If you've got your little uh, smartphone with the Bible on it, you can do it that way. You just lay the ribbon across your phone, uh, and it works, I think. But in Luke 13, Jesus tells a parable that really stood out to me. Because I'm thinking over the last year, man, God did so much in 2012. We ought to be dominating in 2013. You know, that's, I look at 2012 and think, man, that's amazing. Because it was so much more amazing than 2011, which was so much more amazing than 2010. And there's this idea in my mind that, oh man, we gotta cook something up for 2013. What am I gonna show in the video for 2013 if we don't do something awesome? And that's just that really shallow part of my heart that wants you to like me, <laughs> that wants us to dominate and wants, you know, the, buy into this American idea that if you're not growing, you're dying. And I, if that were all true, Jesus was pretty bad at his job. I mean, the dude flew off the earth like Superman, okay? And only 120 people showed up at the upper room. That, that's not a huge domination. It wouldn't look on the growth chart, you know, the thing, the Excel spreadsheet, it would have been like a precipitous drop in attendance. But God often does amazing and huge things through small groups of people. And so when I look to 2013, I don't, I want to erase that part of me that wants to cook something up and create something huge that'll be inspirational and that will look good when it's tweeted. And, and, but instead go to the word and say, what is the Lord saying to us individually. And I saw this parable and it just really stood out to me that I think that he's saying something to us in this, that he said this in verse six of Luke 13, that a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground. But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if you've got a King James, it actually says dung it. Let me dung it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Lord, as we get into your word today, we pray that it would be that lamp to our feet, that light to our path, that that your word individually speaks to us, speaks to us corporately, but individually as well, that it's not an academic exercise, but a, an experiencing of you in your word that you've given to us. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. The fig tree is what he's talking about here. And as I look at the fig tree, I'm realizing that I think that there's four things you might see more, you might see less. If you're a note taker, you jot them down. If the Lord starts to talk to you at any moment, feel free to check out and just keep writing. And you can pick up where I was, you know. Just let the Lord guide you on this this morning. But I saw four things in this idea of fig tree that, that I feel like has helped me to figure it out as to what that the Lord, you're right. John uh, Demeester, you can, you can write that one down. Um, I see four things in this idea of a fig tree that we can look at that I feel like the Lord did here that helps me. Because what he's saying is, hey, give it another year. So we got another year. You woke up this morning. You know, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, maybe, hopefully. And the Lord is saying, hey, I, I'm going to give you another year. And what can we accomplish in that year? What can happen in that year 
the, this idea of us being the fig tree for the another year. What is it that we can do in our lives? What can the Lord do? And I see four things when I look at it. That he, Jesus says, let me uh, dig around in it. And I see that and think, hmm, he wants to get down to the root of the problem. And if you're a note taker, and look, here's the thing. I don't believe that the Lord works in, you know, four fancy steps that all rhyme or whatever. So, but I'm doing it because hopefully it'll help you to remember and to chew on. Uh, but know that that's not necessarily the way the Lord deals with in our lives. If it were, we could just go to the Christian bookstore and buy the 10 easy steps to dominating for Jesus and we'd be awesome. But he's not. It's not how your marriage works. It's not how our relationship with the Lord works. But he wants to expose the roots of our issues. Now, I uh, don't like that. Uh, what I like is to just deal with the symptoms of it. And when I have in my life, when I'm not bearing fruit, Jesus would look at this fig tree and tell the story of a fig tree that, I mean, these things, if you've been in Israel, they kind of grow wild on the sides of craggly mountains with goats and stuff. They pretty much can grow anywhere. But this isn't a vineyard. This is where the soil is being kept and that there's amazing things in it. It should be, it should be absolutely showing fruit, but for some reason it's not. Now, in our lives, when we're not showing fruit, when we're not exhibiting fruit, I would rather band-aid it and just, just okay, I'm going to be nice now. I'm going to be, that's who I'm going to be. From here on out, I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm not going to, you know, we want to, all of a sudden, moralism becomes the gospel because if I just do these things, then I've got a relationship with the Lord and then I'm exhibiting fruit. But that's just fake fruit. Fruit from the truest of the, the Spirit is love, joy, peace, is what Galatians tells us. And if you've been around, you've heard me say this before. When you drive by Arrington Vineyards, you do not see those grapevines out there freaking out and stressing trying to make grapes. Right? They're not, oh man, if I do it again, starting right now. No, it just, they just are hanging in there but because they're connected to the vine. Jesus, I am the vine, you're the branches, or the roots of it. It's connected to the source, and fruit is a natural thing that's going to happen. And the problem isn't that I get to try to do it better, but to rather Jesus wants to go in and expose the roots of the problem. He wants to dig around in it a little bit and expose the roots and figure out what it is. And in our country, uh, we don't like that. We'd rather take a pill. Hey, you know what? I'm a biggin'. And if I could take the pill and make it go away... That's awesome. That's just a Band-Aid. The root of the issue is much deeper than that. When I'm not happy, when I'm feeling a little discouraged or depressed, the, the idea would be I want to medicate it. Or if we've got crimes going on, then we want to reg uh, legislate it. You know, methamphetamines have been rampant in our country for the last 20-some years. And we want to regulate it. If we can regulate it, then we can solve the problem of meth use in our country. And so if you've been to buy the Sudafed lately, you know, you got to sign the little thing, a little clipboard, I promise I'm not going to go home and cook meth uh, and give you driver's license. And so that was regulating a problem, but it didn't work. All it's done is made the pharmacy work harder. You might say, but hey, but Darren, in the news, doesn't it say that Great Falls, Montana, Montana, Oregon, those northwestern states have been the hardest hit by this epidemic. They, their meth labs, they've, they've gone way down. They've not busted nearly as many labs as they used to bust. That's true. Meth use, on the other hand, has gone up because they're getting it not from Montana, but now they're getting it from Mexico. 
And those wars and those images that you're seeing on the news of what's happening in our brothers' and sisters' lives in Mexico is because of a drug trade that is out of control because we tried to regulate it so that you can't buy Sudafed. That's fine. They'll make it there. There's more money in it. They're smuggling it to Montana. They're smuggling it to Tennessee. Atlanta is one of the biggest corridors for smuggling meth in the southeast. It comes right through Nashville. And all I wanted to do was make my nose stop running. And what I'm getting at is that legislating it and regulating it did nothing. And ironically enough, regulating and legislating Sudafed to control that has caused us to lose complete control of weapons in Mexico. The operation of Fast and Furious, there are thousands of weapons that are now in Mexico because we're trying to regulate and legislate. And what I'm getting at is, is should meth be illegal? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it should be. But that's not, that's the band-aid. It's not the solution. The root of the problem, the darkness in men's hearts. So what we get to be as the gospel of the church is we get to go out and to deal with the roots of the problems in our own hearts and in men's hearts around us. I can't band-aid that. That's got to be the gospel transforming us from the inside out. And that's the big 30,000-foot picture of it, but in our own hearts, what is the root of that? What is it that's keeping me from bearing fruit this year? Am I battling depression? Am I trapped in some cage? And what is the root of that? Jesus wants to dig in there, and he wants to find it. You could deal with the symptoms. Hesitated whether to share this, but you know what? It's, a, it's not quite New Year, so if the, uh, the New Year's resolution will be uh, that this story maybe will be inappropriate next year. But two weeks ago, when I was here for Christmas, uh, the Christmas play, you know, I came in late and I had a fever and was afraid I might be contagious. And, and I, you know, so the fever was spiking and I was taking Advil and Tylenol. I was dealing with all the symptoms. I diagnosed the problem myself. I got the flu. Everybody else has the flu. I bet I have the flu. I was shivering like a frightened kitten, you know, just, I spent at least 24 hours in a fetal position. But about Sunday morning, I, there began to be this feeling of something unnatural happening down south. And I thought, well, that's weird. And that was Sunday, and I, if you notice, I didn't sit down on Sunday. And I go to the doctor Monday morning, and I tell him, I think I've got the flu, because I got this fever and this thing. And I said, now, parenthetically speaking, there's also appears to be something unnatural happening down south. Two hours later, I find myself laying sideways on a table with a nurse that, she's a nice lady, I hope I never see her again. <laughs> I ask her, you know, all the work and going to medical school and uh, is there a few dreams come true? Is this it? Is this what you were hoping for? <laughs> and on the other side, I've got a doctor like looking over my rear end like he's trying to disarm a bomb, <laughs> which in a weird way he was. And, it turned out I had an abscess on my rear end. And I thought, and I asked the doctor, I'm like, is this normal? Like, is this common? Do you see this a lot? Oh, yeah, four or five of these a week. Like, well, how, is, how do I not know about this? He's like, well, you're not exactly, you know, people don't talk about it. You're not going to go talk about this at Christmas dinner, are you? <laughs> like, well, maybe not Christmas dinner, but I'm going to put it on the podcast. 
This doctor said, you know, look, we can deal with this tomorrow. We can put you, here's what I would do. So I'd, we'd uh, hook you up in general anesthesia. You go to sleep for a little bit. You wake up, you're done. Uh, so that's what I would do. Or, we, you know, his, I quote his exact words. Or we could just bust this thing open today. <laughs> look, if I have to go through this, you're going through it with me is all I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm like, you mean like, like Civil War style? I mean, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Like, we got to go down to the Carton House? Is what it's called now? Uh, and he said, yeah, I was like, well, so why would you choose the other way? He's like, well, this way is going to hurt like heck. He didn't say heck. Uh, I'm like, but you know what? That's the problem. And one more day with this, I can do antibiotics, whatever. I do, let's just get it done. Because the root of the problem, so to speak, we needed to get to the bottom of the situation. And, <laughs> and it had nothing to do with my, my fever was just a symptom of it. And what Jesus wants to do is to dig deep, get to the bottom of your problem. Dig it up. <laughs> You're never going to forget this. If you do, I don't know. I, mean, I got nothing else. That's all I got. I mean, I, you need to go to a different church. If I can't, if that doesn't, that's what I got. He wanted to dig in <laughs> and find the problem, the root of it. How does it work in my life and in your life? In Mark 11, when Jesus was going by a fig tree, he would say to his disciples, he would come back from Jerusalem, no, from Bethany. He'd been in Jerusalem the night before. Remember the ride the donkey into town? And the, this was the day after that. A little bit later in the day, he's going to be turning over tables in the, uh, in the temple. But he had, it was like he'd went to downtown Nashville, and now he'd went out to the edge of town, and now he's walking back to town. He's starving. McDonald's isn't open this early, and there's a fig tree. It's over at a distance, but there's leaves on it, and he says... Uh, the next day, verse 12 of Mark 11, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree is having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. He's looking at the tree. It has leaves on the tree, which meant that it should have fruit. A lot of us in our lives, from a distance, we look like we got fruit. It's until you get close up that you realize, whoa, that's just a bunch of leaves in our lives. There's no fruit on it. And I pondered this and thought, well, why is it important that this thing, why would Jesus curse this tree? And I think he's telling us a story, and that is this. That if you're, not, if you're not satisfying, now I'm going to clarify this, so don't, don't go to sleep just yet. If you're not satisfying Jesus, you're not going to be able to satisfy anyone. Now, I don't say that in like a soup Nazi kind of way. You know, Jesus, no fruit for you. No. But rather in a, when I'm connected to the vine, I'm satisfying Jesus because he's flowing through me. And when I'm doing that, that gives me the ability to satisfy and to bring joy to others around me. No fruit for Jesus means there's just no fruit for anybody. And he's not saying it in a harsh way. It's, this is just true. If you're connected to me, you're going to have fruit in your life. And the reason that you would not have fruit is in verse 20. In the next morning, they passed by. They saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And the language there is interesting because it seems to denote that the problem all along was in the roots. The, there was no life in the roots, which meant no life in the tree, which meant no fruit. And Jesus 
gives us the way to dig around in our roots so that we can provide fruit in Hebrews chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you may want to hold your finger or your fancy ribbon there in Mark or wherever you're holding it right now and go to Hebrews because he says in Hebrews 4, talking about a sharp instrument, if you've been out in the yard and you've been digging around in the garden, you need a sharp instrument to dig into it. And he gives us such an easy way. To dig into the roots is this. It's the word of God. Verse 12, the word of God is living. It's powerful. And listen to this, sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the division of the soul and the spirit, to the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The soul is my attitude. It's my personality. The spirit is who I am. And it gets confusing because sometimes you say, well, look, I, you know, if you've, maybe you're this kind of person. You've been around this kind of person. You just say, look, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just truthful. I'm just, I, just, I just call them as they are. That's just how I am. You know? And what you're really saying is, I'm kind of mean. And that's just how I am. Or I've got an anger thing and I'm just kind of angry all the time. That's just who I am. I can't help it. That's just how, that's who I am. You don't like it, go somewhere else. And you could insert whatever behavioral issues that you're dealing with in there and just say, that's just how I am. That's, it. that's your soul. But what is the spirit of you? Because the lie of it is that I can't control my temper. That's not who you are. That's the lie of it. Spiritualism isn't about adding to. Oftentimes it's about cutting away those things that have attached themselves to us over their lives. What he's talking about is a surgery, a digging away at the roots of it. You saying I can't control my anger is true, but the spirit can. And how do we get there? Dividing between, listen to this, the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, the bones, which is like the, the joints holding it all together. I got it all together, don't I? I'm holding it all together. I look like, if you look at me, I just look like I got it together. Actually, maybe not me is that example. But someone else in here looks like they've got it all together. But inside of the bone is the marrow. And if you've been around life a little bit, you know that the marrow is where the blood is created. It's where life is so you might look like you've got it all together on the outside, but inside is where blood is and where life, and that's what the word of God can do, is divide between what looks like I'm holding it together and where the real life is, because uh, bones holding themselves together without blood become brittle, and it's osteoporosis, and you'll just fall apart and crumble. You need the life of the blood inside of you. The thoughts and the intents. Man, I have a lot of great ideas and a lot of really bad motivations. This is a great idea. Let's do this, and that'll be awesome. I'm talking about that video earlier. What am I going to do next year? It's a, it's a good idea to have a little video to tell you what we did last year. But if my intentions, the, the word of God can divide between where my, <coughs> where my uh, ideas are and where my intents are. It is talking about a sharp surgery that goes between the soul, the spirit, the joints, the marrow, the thoughts, the intents, and the, simply put is this, the word of God is how you, how I can expose the roots in our lives. If you're in the word daily, not as an academic exercise, not in a race to get through it so you don't blow your New Year's resolution to get through the Bible in a year. What if the Lord wants to just speak to you on that verse for a while? just loves you. Hey, this verse, just chew on that one. 
all day long. Let it ruminate in you. And as you're doing that, he's digging around because I might be able to say that I can't accomplish this because, you know, I'm just a poor white kid from Nebraska. I ain't never been nowhere, which is the story of my life. But Jesus said, no, no, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's the, what the word says. And if I'm in the word and allowing it to become alive inside of me, it's dividing between my soul and my spirit and my joints and my marrow and telling me who I really am. It only happens by a daily relationship in the word of God in your hearts. Have you been in the word every day? Not as a burdensome thing, but as a, man, this is a pretty good idea. Because as I'm in the word, I'm encountering Jesus. And when Jesus is in there, that sharp sword will be digging around in my roots. Number one, he wanted to expose our roots. And secondly, when I look back to Luke again, I see that when he wants to dig around in it, then he also wants to fertilize it, which as I just explained to you in the King James, he wants to dung it. Now, I spent last night all week actually thinking, well, this would be a good one about that self-help idea. He wants to dig up all my crap and figure it out and deal with it. But that was me trying to attach my idea to a passage. That's not what he is. It's, he's saying, I want to dung it. But when I think, well, what does that mean in my life? What does that look like? The best way for the Bible to be interpreted is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And I only see the word dung one other time in the New Testament. And it's in Philippians 3. When Paul was talking about his history. And how he had done all of these amazing things. He was a Pharisee, which we look at that in hindsight, it's a negative thing. He was, the Pharisees were the, uh, the bad guys in the Bible, but not in the Jewish culture. There, there were only 7,000 of these guys in the entire nation of Israel, and they were looked up as these awesome guys because they kept the law to every tiniest part of it. He says, I was one of those guys. And he says in verse 8, that yet I, uh, indeed, I also count all of these things loss for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. But if you've got a King James Bible, you'll notice that that word is also dung. And not only is it dung in the Greek, it's actually a uh, crass version of it. It's literally like he's saying, it's just crap. Like that word that kind of made, oh, I wish you wouldn't say that in front of my kids. That's what he's saying. I count it as crap. And I was looking at it and thinking, well, then it's the religion part of it. It's that. And I think that there's probably truth in that. That those, me trying to do good for God and do all these amazing things. But as I really prayed and thought on it, I was reminded of a quote from Austin Phelps, who's no relation to the swimmer, 1800s guy, when he said that uh, suffering is the fertilizer for great character in your life. I didn't want to do a message on suffering. Nobody likes those. I don't particularly care for them either. But in Hebrews 2, he tells us, verse 10-ish, that we are perfected through suffering. In Hebrews 12, he would tell us, verse 
7, I left my notes somewhere, so you might want to double check me on that, that I can endure hardships as discipline from the Lord. Not punishment, keeping in mind, punishment was handed out at the cross and Jesus absorbed that for us. It's not about that. Discipline. Have you been to the gym? There's a good time of year to work at a gym because your commissions are going to go way up. But a lot of people will drop out by January, by February, because they realize that at the gym it requires suffering. And that's over now. Your body can do things you didn't think it could do, but it causes you to suffer a little bit with it. I, I, I want to clarify something, too, just because. I can't see in Scripture, I know that there are guys smarter than me that, that would say this. I don't see it there, that I don't see sickness as part of that suffering. And for two reasons. One, it's just not in the Scripture. I don't think that that's that God makes you sick. I don't think that he kills your children. I don't, I don't think that. I think that's part of the fallen world of the condition that we're in. And that's important because, A, I, I believe it's important to know about God. But the other thing is, is I think that in the modern church, a lot of times, we just say, well, I've been suffering, and I count that as that. And that's not what he's talking about when suffering. He's talking about when you're following Jesus. It was hotter than all get-outs in Africa this summer. I'm pushing, my shoe is gone and still in that little puddle somewhere in Africa. <clears throat> I came home with a staff infection, a urinary tract infection that I contracted in the waters. There's suffering that was happening while I'm out following the Lord, but it's making me better at, what I, at who I am. When I've been at the gymnasium before, if you, you guys that are in shape know this, that you're pushing through, you're working, it's suffering, but because of that, that discipline, you endure that as discipline for the Lord because it is making you better and stronger. We don't like that here at all. And we in America have had the privilege of being really some of the only Christians throughout the entire history of the church who have not suffered for the sake of Christ. I don't know that that's going to last much longer. Our brothers and sisters that own Hobby Lobby are saying to the government, we are not going to pay for abortion, period. They're going to suffer at $1.2 million a day fining this company because they're not going to do that. We're going to get opportunities to suffer maybe even right here at home and maybe in 2013 that's when our roots are exposed of who we are and what God wants to deal with. And when those, that excrement, that crap flows into our roots, it causes us to be stronger. No chemicals, super organic. And when you go back to what Paul said in Philippians, his religion for him was about being awesome, but if you were Stephen and you were being stoned that day while Paul held your coat, he was suffering. When he says, I count it as dung, I think what he was, there's this full orb of a picture that it was dung. It was dung in the lives of those who were suffering for the sake and the cause of Christ. And it made Stephen be able to be the one who, it says, if you remember, we were there in Acts, that Stephen, when he died and he, he looked up and he saw Jesus, what? Standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but not that day. He was standing up, and I think it was him just saying, come on, Stephen. 
My, my little boy's at the Titans game today. And you know how it is. You're the guy, they're running the ball almost to the end zone. Everybody stands up and they're cheering him on. I think that's what Jesus was saying for Stephen that day. He's on the edge of his chair. He stands up. Come on, Stephen, you could do this. You got it. And that suffering, that dung in Paul's life was causing Stephen to be stronger and better and to win his race well. In your life this year, I pray that you go through a lot of crap. Your roots are exposed. Expose the roots and that he'll excrement your soil. I know that that's not a verb, but it is for today's purposes. Expose the roots that he'll excrement your soil. And thirdly, that we get a chance to express our faith. If you go back to Mark 11 with me, that says that the next day that they went back to that tree and they saw that it was cursed and that it was dried up from the roots. And what Jesus would then say to them is, if you speak unto this mountain and cast it into the sea, and those verses that if you've been around the church for a long time, you've heard before. In fact, those verses, I think, have been taken out of context a lot. If you take the text out of context, what you get is a con. And there have been a lot of people conned by this verse. Because what I've heard it, what I even used to teach it to me, was I can have whatever I want. But when I look at this miracle, Jesus, it's the only miracle that Jesus performed where it was destructive, not constructive. Everything else, he's making water into wine, he's making a blind man see, he's constructing things. Not here, he destroyed it. And when I look at that verse and see what he's saying in that context, he's saying whatever mountain is between you and God and your relationship with the Lord Whatever mountain is between you, what Mount Sinai, that law that's been burned in Hebrews 12 and talking about suffering, speaks about the mountain you can't even touch because you'll die. He's saying, speak to that mountain with faith and it'll be cast into the sea. I mean, keep, follow the thought. Then he goes right on to say, and whenever you stand praying, if you have aught against anyone, forgive him. He's talking about the sin in our lives that if I speak to that that lack, that for unforgiveness maybe that I'm harboring, I can speak to it and say, no, no, go into the sea, be removed from my life in faith. I can express my faith. It's not about getting more, it's about being more. It's about taking away, not adding to my life. A mountain that stands in between me and what the Lord wants to do in my life, I can speak to it and say, get away. For me, I don't have to harbor this unforgiveness, this bitterness. Whatever that thing is between me and the Lord, I can say to it, be cast into the sea and it will go. I think that unforgiveness is a big one because he happens to mention it right in the next one. But he wants us to be able to expose those roots of what's going on in our life. He wants to excrement the soil around us to make us stronger. He wants us to be able to express our faith. And lastly, and look, if you've nodded off, I don't blame you. I know, but if you're just real quick, wake up, or if you see your neighbor next to you, just give him an elbow just in case. Because this, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Because he wants us to not only expose the roots in our life, to expel ourselves and excrement. See what I was going to do last night? I just like to excrement your soil now. He wants us to express our faith, but look at this. I think he wants us to be able to expect favor. And here's what I mean. In Luke 23... You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. I'll read it, but maybe make a note and go back there later. Jesus, the fig tree is what he's talking about in Luke 13. 
the fig tree is a tree that fruit would come from, but there's another tree that he would speak of, and it was a tree that he would hang from. And there would be fruit that would come from that tree, and it would be red, not because it was an apple, but red because it was blood. And I can go to that tree and see Jesus and the fruit that he is exhibiting from it when he says in verse 34, then Jesus said to Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Speaking of those who were crucifying him, speaking of those who hurled insults at him, forgive them, they don't know what they do. That word, forgive them, is the Greek word, atheomi. And the reason that I bring that up is that when I go back to this story in Luke chapter 13, and he says, this is, Father is the, the owner of the vineyard, and he speaks to Jesus, the keeper of the vineyard, and says, cut him down. Not because God is harsh, it's just true. If the fruit tree is not producing fruit, the true thing is, well, we need to get it out of here and get another one in here. But Jesus intercedes on our behalf. It's what he does what he says. He sits on the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Interceding meaning, hey, no, no, don't cut him down yet. Don't, not yet. He says, give it another year. And that word, give it another, is a theomy. Let it go. Let him go another year. On the cross, he would say to those that were hurling insults at him, let him go. Let it, they don't understand. Let it, give it another year. A theomy. And I would say that what the Lord wants to say to you and I is that we can expect favor. Because look, if you're like me, you probably don't. You look back on last year and see all kinds of things I could have done better, could have done differently, should have, could have, would have. And I think that what the Lord would say to you and to me this morning is a fee of me. Let it go. Give it another year. Let me get in there and dig up the roots and figure out the issues at the bottom of it. Allow some of the uh, excrement, the suffering maybe to come into your life that will then cause this, the roots to be strengthened, that you'll be organic. You can hang out at Whole Foods. You can express your faith not to get something more, but to be more and to say that that thing that is between me and the Lord, cast it into the sea, Jesus. And I get another year. What about next year? I don't know. We got this year. I know that God is good. I know that Jesus is interceding for you. And he'd like you this morning to say, I, you know what, Afia me. I'm giving you another year. I want to dig around on you a little bit. It might be uncomfortable. It might be suffering. We might just need to bust it open today. But you're going to walk out of here not limping, and the fever will go down, the symptoms will subside because he's digging around at your roots. You're in the word of God, allowing that to be the medicine in your soul. That dirt that he's dug out, what are we made out of? Dirt, it says from dirt we were created, from dirt we'll return. He's pulling out the dirt of you, the self of you, and replacing it with the crap, the suffering, but it will allow you to grow and to strengthen. Don't resist it. Let the doctor bust it open today. Jesus said that I've come, the physician, not to the well, but the, the doctor comes for the sick. I'm a pastor. That doesn't mean I'm smart. It just means that maybe I've been around the hospital a little bit longer. I know which doctors are nice, which nurses, which orderlies, what, what to eat and stay away from the cafeteria. I mean, that's, that's it. I'm a, I, we're all in the same hospital with Jesus, the great physician. 
And I know that he wants to give you another year. And your New Year's resolution, whatever it is, allow his resolution for you to be alive and well. Afia me. Give it another year. If he could say it to those that hurled insults on him, that drove the nails in his hands, that whipped across his back and say to them, Afia me. You don't think he loves you enough to say, Afia me. Yeah, you weren't in the word every day. Give, give it another year, Father. Let me dig around on this a little bit. I can get to the root of this. We can figure it out. Afia me. As we're worshiping a little bit more today, and wherever the musicians are, you're welcome to come back. We've got communion available. There's hardly a better way to be reminded of what the fruit of the cross was is than when you go and remember with the broken body and the blood of Christ, the elements of communion. It's a reminder of what he did. The keeper of the vineyard, Jesus, paid the price so that he gets to get in there and dig around on you a little bit. What a great place to do that is at the table of communion. And maybe tomorrow you need to wake up and scrap the one-year plan and just say, Lord, lead me into your scriptures. What do you want to say to me today? His mercies are new every morning. And then the next day, what is it today you want to say to me, Lord? And then when you miss it three or four days, get back in there again and look for him in the scriptures. Look for him and let that word dig around in you. Divide between your soul and your spirit. Father, would you bust us open today, whether it's at the table of communion or in worship uh, before you, that you would uh, hmm, get to the root of our problems. The band-aids that I put on it, they don't work anyway. I might be able to let the symptoms subside, but the sickness exists, and today we just want you to dig around more. And that mountain that would be between me and my abundant life that you've promised, that mountain that would be between us, whether it's unforgiveness or bitterness or lack of self-control, whatever that is today, we just say to it, be removed and cast into the sea. A sea that you said in your word would be a sea of forgetfulness that you don't remember it anymore. I'm so thankful that you've given me another year, Lord. That you let it go another year, and I just invite you to continue to dig around on my roots. Continue to dung me. That I might express my faith and expect the favor of a fee of me. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. As we worship, know that at any moment you're welcome to go into the Lord's table. We've got a station here and one here. You might just want to go in a corner and just pray and get with the Lord a little bit and have him speak to you today. Whatever it is, let the Lord do it, not me. This is the Lord in your life. He's smarter than me anyway. <laughs>